Good morning, good morning, good morning. What we've been talking about is how do we truly live? How do we step into life? God has for us a different, uh, a better life uh, for us than maybe we've been currently living. If you've ever asked the question, is this all there is? Or if you've ever had that impatient feeling like, you know, I can't wait until I graduate because then life can happen. I can't wait until I get married, then life can happen. I can't wait until I get a job, then life can happen. I can't wait until the kids are out of the house, then life can happen. I can't wait until I retire, then life can happen. If we always base our life on a certain event happening, then we're always in this waiting game. And we we just watch life actually pass us by and never experience it. Never jump into the life that God has for us. And so our theme verse for this series has been John 10, 10. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation says abundant life, life overflowing, life that we can't comprehend, life that just overflows everything about us. And so if we're honest with ourselves and we talk uh, about this kind of thing, maybe with our friends or with our family, and we just have that unsettled feeling of how, this, this just doesn't seem to be going the way it should be going. I want to talk directly to that today. We've talked about the issues of shame, of, of just feeling like, oh, man, our past is so, so bad or it, it paralyzes us in what we talk about. We've talked about all kinds of other things that, that keep us from stepping into what God has for us. And so today we're going to talk about dealing with our past. How do we deal with the failures of our past? Because we all have them. We all have things in our life that we're like, wish that didn't happen, right? It's probably something that comes up in conversation sometimes or stuff that you work really hard at that, so it won't come up in conversation. You know, things that you try to sweep under the rug, things you try to hide, things you're like, I don't want to deal with that. This is messy. Bad stuff comes from that. The things in life that maybe you've started making other decisions to protect yourself from that one thing that happened, right? Those kind of moments, those kind of moments that redirect our steps, those kind of moments that, that kind of mess us up for life, those kind of moments that even mess up our generation after generation after generation of people. Those are the type of things I want to talk about this morning because everybody has them. Everybody has these failures. We're going to watch a video that shows you uh, some of our heroes having these failures. Kevin, we'll roll that, that movie, please. You want to know the secret to victory? Fail to make the varsity team. Start your career as a walk-on. Go 3-13 and 13 your rookie season. Lead the league in interceptions. Take a perfect team and blow a perfect season. Spend 108 years as a lovable loser. Serena denied a shot in history by an unsealed be on the wrong side of the biggest upset in your sport. You really want to know the secret to victory. And heartbreak for Matt Ryan, who is in utter disbelief. Defeat. Come on, one more. Make defeat your fuel. Now, this uh, commercial really encapsulates kind of what we're going to talk about today, because uh, how do we deal with 
these failures. Michael Jordan, in his Hall of Fame speech, in his Hall of Fame speech, referenced the high school coach that cut him. Right? He let that fuel him. Instead of going, and let him, you know, become something else and do, do something else, he let that, that failure fuel him. And it started, it birthed the greatest basketball player ever, right? Out of that failure, he turned that into something else. And just think about that. We all have to make those choices. We come up against failure. We've all made stupid things happen in our life. You know, we, if we're honest, we've caused them. <laughs> There's things that have happened in our lives that we didn't, we didn't have anything to do with. But the ones that really stick with you are the ones that you did, <laughs> right? Like, ugh. I wish that moment of, I wish I could take that back, right? And then everything else kind of follows around. I wish I could have done that a little bit differently. Mine usually revolves around my mouth, you know? Um, but I don't know what your, your story says. But how do we use those failures? How do we morph them into something healthy? How do we move past the stuff that we, we have in our life? Those failures, if we're honest with ourselves, probably they do this thing. They steal our joy. They kill our ambition. They destroy our relationships. But Jesus has come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Some of us, you've been asking yourself that question a lot. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, and we still struggle with this. We struggle with this idea of, is this all there is? And how does it get better? Jesus here in John 10, 10 is speaking directly into our failures. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you life, abundant life. And so as we explore that this morning, I just kind of want to sit in that moment because it doesn't take very long for us to start thinking about, yeah, that's the failure he's talking about this morning. So I don't want us to, and it's very easy, it's so easy for us when we start thinking about the stuff in our past, the the stuff that we've done, the junk of our lives, it's so easy just to get there and let that morph everything about the rest of the morning, okay? I'm not here to be Debbie Downer and depress you, okay? That's that's not my hope today. I want to give you hope and a victory today. And so if you'll just go, okay, here's the stuff, let's just bring that to the surface, but now I want to do something with it. Okay, so it's so easy to bring this stuff. I mean, I, I struggle with this. You, you bring it to the surface, and then you just wallow in it, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, you're just there. And then now you feel like you're... I, Jared, I was doing a pretty good job of pushing that in a corner, keeping that locked away. I don't want to bring that out. But if we bring it out, then we can start to deal with these issues, deal with this stuff. When we have these failures, we have these, these things going on, we respond to it in a, several different ways. The first is we run, Chris is going to come up and he's going to help me with an object lesson today. So don't, don't mind him. He's supposed to be doing this. Um, but we run. We run. We run. We run. We run. We run. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. When you come up with a, a issue. Let's go down farther. There you go. We come up with a hard situation. Work is really tough. Our marriage is really tough. The kids are going crazy. Different stuff is happening. Our response is we run. We're so overwhelmed with it that we just want to get away from the people. We want to get away from the ideas. We want to get away from the relationships that cause this problem. We run from it. 
And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Kelly used to do this as a high schooler. This was how she dealt with some serious issues in her life. She actually physically ran. Like, she would go for long, long, long runs, and, uh, which got her in great shape, but it wasn't finishing any of the problems, right? It wasn't fixing any of the issues. It wasn't taking care of any of the stuff she had going on in her heart, because Kelly's my wife, if you don't know. She, she would just go for a long run and go for a long run. Where's Kelly? She's running. It was a physical manifestation of something that was going on inside her. She had to deal with some issues, but she just run, 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 run. Some of us do this. We just run. First sign of some conflict in a relationship, first sign of issues, and we're like, I'm gone. I'm out. Because it's protection. I don't want to deal with those, those past things. I don't want to deal with that, that, that hurt. I don't want to deal with that pain. I'm just gone. I'm running. Second thing we do is we fight. We fight. It's the fight or, you know, flight or fight mechanism that, that is in us, all of us. But we fight. But when we are doing it out of a past hurt, we do fighting really, really weird. We come out swinging, right? We think someone might get close to hurting us, get, might get close seeing the real us, might get close to maybe hurting us in some, some personal way, and we just, we just start wailing at them. Verbally, maybe even physically. We just, if we fight hardest, fastest, if we're the first one to land a punch, we won't get hurt. And we do that. We respond with such vehemence, just such overreaction, because if I just come up with overwhelming force, they will have nothing to do but back down and go away. And then they don't have to get close. They won't have to deal with these issues. I don't have to deal with this stuff. We do that. We run. We fight. Third thing we do is we build walls. And we build walls. If I can't outrun it, if I can't fight it, we build walls. A lot of us in life, this is where we're at. We're kind of over the running phase. Maybe we've gotten a little bit more mature. Just, I don't like running, so I don't want to do that. Uh, maybe we're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to fight anymore. We just got, we just, I, don't, I don't want to fight. It's exhausting, and it is exhausting. And so we've started building walls. And this, this one feels almost comfortable because I can be back here, right? You can't see me. This would be way more fun to preach from. I can't see, your, I can't see you fall asleep, right? <laughs> I can't see people yawning. Um, I can't, I can't, people aren't on their phones if I'm just talking to these Mac fries, you know, boxes. But I mean, why, what do you think attendance would do? You know, people are like, oh, boy, you can go talk to the boxes. This is cool. Might as well have like a radio show or something, right? So if I, whoo, about knock down my wall. Um, we build these walls so we don't have to deal with the issues. And this seems healthy. This seems healthy, but it's not. Because what is it doing? It's keeping out the stuff that can hurt us. It's keeping out the, the things, the people, and the ideas that will hurt us. But it's also keeping out the help. It's keeping out the restoration of a relationship. I think a lot about you know, how the way castles are built. And castles are built to do a lot of different things, to protect certain uh, land. I love castles. I have, like I just like download pictures of castles just to look at them and stuff. It's just, I want to dream. This is one of my weird things. I just dream about what's the story behind that castle? What, what could I make up? And, uh, but the idea of these castles is they're always, they're there to protect something important. But a lot of times those castles were never, ever, ever used in defensive combat. Never used. They're just built millions of dollars spent 
lots of man hours. People go bankrupt to build these castles to protect something that wasn't worth protecting in the first place. Now, how does that go with our lives? Do we spend a ton of time building walls to protect stuff that wasn't actually worth protecting in the first place? Think about that. We build walls. We are so defensive on, we don't want anybody to get close. We don't want these issues to be brought forth. That we continue to build wall after wall after wall after wall after wall after wall. And we keep people out. I used to do this um, in high school. This was, a, this was a point. I would have a lot of really, 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 really superficial relationships. I started doing this in college until I had some guys in my life who wouldn't let me have superficial relationships. And that's really what broke this down. But they, I kept on building walls up because I didn't want anybody to get to know the real me because what if they didn't like the real me? How am I going to respond to that, Right? Because if they don't, really, they don't really like me, I don't know if I can handle that kind of rejection. I don't know if I can handle that, that kind of stuff. So I just kept on building wall, building wall, building wall, building wall. We build walls to protect things that probably we shouldn't even protect. Because only by being real, only by being um, vulnerable in those facts, was I going to be able to build the relationships that I actually was craving. The walls that you built keep you from engaging in life the life that Jesus has for you, an abundant life, a full life. See, the same wall that you've built to keep you from getting hurt is the very wall that's keeping you from living the life you've always wanted. That's hard to even think about, but those walls protect me. They also imprison you. They they entrap us. And sometimes we even build these walls, these castles in swamps. They're not places that we should be protecting, should, should be at in the first place. And we just keep on staying there. We just sit in it because I want to be protected. I want to be safe. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with these issues. The church, early church in Acts, and Acts is a book in the Bible That is the history of the first century church. It's the very first missionary journeys. It's the very first time people are doing this without Jesus present. And so Acts is found in the New Testament, basically in the middle of the New Testament. It's a fantastic book, but the church is faced with the same problem. How do we respond to everything seeming to go wrong in life? What is our reaction to that? What do we do now? Acts chapter 12, uh, verse 12 What's happening in the story is right before this in chapter 12, James, who's the logistical head of the church, he's the brother of Jesus, uh, or the half-brother of Jesus. His daddy wasn't God, so there's a big difference there. But but James is the half-brother of of Jesus. James gets his head chopped off in the first part of uh, Acts chapter 12. He loses his head. This would be kind of a downer move. You know, you wouldn't be so excited about being a Christian at the moment. You just lost Jesus. Now you lost um, the brother of Jesus. And Peter is imprisoned. Peter is like the rah-rah, shishkumba leader of the church. So you got this kind of dual head thing going on. James like, Peter, you got to stay under control, buddy. And Peter, Peter's the one out doing all the, the messages and stuff. So uh, Peter is arrested. And, and the people who arrest him are so afraid that he's going to escape, so afraid that he's going to go do something uh, or his, his, uh, his followers are going to come in and get him because they, you know, this, this whole Jesus movement has a bad habit of just like disappearing and then reappearing later. Old Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. Uh, three days later, they're like, nope, he's not happening. So what they do is they chain 
two different guards to each of his arms, right? So he's, he's sleeping in the cell. He's got a guard on this side. He's got a guard on this side. It's been an awkward moment, right? And, and he's chained to them like, you ain't going anywhere, buddy. So he's sitting there praying about, God, I, I don't want to lose my head. I like right where it's at. And he's laying in the cell. And then all the other Christians have kind of sequestered themselves in a house, John Mark's house, his mom, John Mark's uh, mom's house, which that's the mark that the gospel mark is written by. They're all hanging out at that house. It's probably a decent size house. And uh, so there's probably 70 people or whatnot all there praying for Peter's release. And so Peter's sitting there and all of a sudden, click, 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 the chains fall off. Looks over, dude's snoring. Looks over, dude's snoring. And he goes. That's, that's, what's in, that's what's happening in verses like 1 through 12, okay? Um, so then this is what happens. When he realizes the chains are gone, when he realizes this, he went home to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where they were gathered of prayer. He knocked at the door and the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. The people praying for Peter said this, you are out of your mind, they said. I'm sorry. When, they, when she insisted, they decided, it must be an angel. They are more willing to recognize that the thing that they're praying for is an angel than it would be Peter. It's a, it's a whole other message. Uh, but, um, you know. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. This is what, I would have loved. This is one of those times I would have loved there would have been like a GoPro st- station there to watch Peter like, please let me in. Anybody? Or is he just pounding on the door? What, what, what did that look like? I, I'd love to know. Um, when they finally opened the door, they saw him, and they were amazed. I wonder if they shut the door again on him. A couple things to identify with what's going on in this, this passage. The first is, Rhoda kept the door shut. Or she's, oh, you know, I can see this, you know, the, the old-timey things with the, the slats in the door. And just shuts it right in his face. Like, nope, 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 nope. I, nope. It's P- oh, Peter. Is there, right? What, what, what would that have looked like? What would that have been like? No, were we just praying about that, that guy? <laughs> then no one believes her. I just think it's beautiful. It's so just so funny here. So she she shuts it. See, the answer to their prayer was right in front of them. And they kept him locked out. They were trusting in their walls instead of the power of God. They were inside praying for Peter. And they kept the door locked when he was at the doorstep. When someone uh, told them that the answer to the prayers was at the door, they said, you are out of your mind. And I wonder if there was like, don't you know we're supposed to be praying for Peter right now? I wish you'd get back to work, lady. Like that, that's kind of the attitude that's going on here. And he's standing right here. I feel like that's us. So often, with our own walls, we trust in them so much more, even when the answer to our prayers comes knocking at the door. We're like, nope, nope, that can't be it. Like, unless it parachutes down over the wall, we need a pull vaulter to jump over the wall because well, I'm not taking down those walls. I'm going to save. Now, I understand it. Everyone in their leadership is getting killed at the moment. I understand why they're building walls. Okay, I, I'm not blaming them too much on this. I understand that. But the very answer to their prayers is standing there, knocking. 
And I wonder how often do we do the same thing? We pray for a situation. We pray over and over, God, remove this from me. God, do this for me. God, please take this. Take this pain. Take this hurt. Take this old past thing. Take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it, take it. And then when God's standing there going, ding dong, I came from your pain. I came for your shame. I came for your past. We're like, nope, nope, deadbolt stuck. Can't, Can't let you in. How many times do we get there? If we're honest with ourselves, we're like, that, but I'd have to take down that wall and I don't, I don't want to get involved. That's a hard call. Something we have to do if we want to experience life and life to its full. I also want to look at this from Peter's point of view. From Peter's point of view. Think about this. He must have gone through all these stages of, I could run. I could fight, and I could build walls, right? He is, <clears throat> he had been totally under, under his, uh, I, I would not have blamed him if he'd have been like, I got set free, I'm out. I'm, I'm gone. I'm not going back to these believers. This whole Jesus thing was nice for a while. I was cool walking on water, but I'm out. Like I almost died. I was shackled to two dudes in prison. This is not fun. I'm out. Like, that had to have gone through his head. Like, what if I just don't go back? I get the message, I'm I'm, I'm gone. Second thing, he could have fought. And this is what he was doing just a couple months ago. Remember, the guy who cuts off the ear of the the dude trying to arrest Jesus is Peter. Peter finds a sword somewhere. It's so bad with it that he's swinging for the guy's head and hits his ear. Like, okay. (laughs) Like, you need to take a fencing class, bud. But he's, he's swinging wildly at that. This same Peter, these guards probably are armed. Right? It has to go through his head. What happens? These guys have imprisoned me. Pretty sure they probably didn't treat him very well in prison. What's going through his head? I want to fight. I want to lash out. Yeah, yeah. You know, make this an R-rated movie really quickly. Kill these guys that have been chained to him. Have all kinds of mayhem going through the, through the prison. He doesn't do that. The third is, I can build walls. I'm just going to go protect myself. I'm going to go. I'm not going to go back to, to Mary's house. I'm not going to hang out there. I'm going to go do my own thing. When, the, when the, the temple guards come again for me, I'm just said, I'm done. I'm out. I learned my lesson. Shalom aleichem to you. Have a nice day. You know, he could have built those walls. He said, nope, 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 nope. I'm changing my name. I'm no longer Peter. I'm something else. And I'm just done. Very easily could have happened. But instead, he does what we need to be doing. He leverages it. This is the fourth way in which we deal with the past failures, the shame, all the stuff in our past. We leverage it. And this is so hard to do. This is so difficult to do. But it's the way in which we deal with our past and have victory over it. Jesus is in the business of leveraging junky pasts for amazing, amazing results. This is what he does. This is what the scripture over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, from Old Testament to New Testament, you see people who have the worst past, murderers. Uh, you have people who are just are, you would, this terrible, terrible past. And God is redeeming their story to say, yes, you wanted for this, but let's use that to write a beautiful, beautiful story. Over and over and over again, he does it. We're going to show a video about leveraging our past. Ink 180 is a tattoo shop with a cause. 
We, uh, we do regular tattoos, but we focus on helping people get a second chance, and that's what it's all about. And we do that by removing or covering the tattoos that marked who they used to be. Take away those constant visual reminders of their past, whether it be a gang tattoo, a sex trafficking-related tattoo, domestic violence-related tattoo, or scars from self-armor cutting. This one's fading out nicely. And, uh, I've been a tattoo artist for 23 years, and I wanted to use those gifts um, to make a positive impact and try to help people that were leaving that gang life because it's so destructive and it's a dead end, you know? The reason why I'm removing them is because I want to change my life and I'm tired of getting profiled by other people. Second chances are for everybody. And to be able to use a gift that I was blessed with and something that I love to do with tattooing, uh, just to be able to take away that constant visual reminder of their old life so they're not constantly, you know, Reminded every time they brush their teeth or brush their hair, they're looking in the mirror, or somebody asks them, Hey, what does that tattoo mean? I mean, I get, you know, a lot of my clients will, will tell me, <laughs> I got this tattoo on my face because I didn't expect to turn 18. You know, I thought I was going to be dead just like all my friends. Tattoos are an outward expression of our innermost self. I have 68 tattoos myself. Every single tattoo I have tells a little piece of my story. Uh, it's the same thing with the, the tattoos that we remove. Uh, they're telling a story, and it's an adversarial story quite often. Uh, we do it for free because, to be quite honest, a lot of the people that we come into contact with, they don't have the money to afford tattoo removal or a tattoo cover-up. I'm just doing what I love to do more than anything and just doing it for free to help somebody that couldn't afford to pay for it. You get that GED, I'll give you any tattoo you want free. <laughs> That's how bad I want you to get that GED. Yeah, it makes me feel like he cares about me and that he wants me to help change my life, get my life back on track. My, my satisfaction, my joy comes from being able to see people get that second chance and look in the mirror and not have that, that crown over their eye or that barcode on their neck to see their reaction and what it means to them. That makes all the difference to us, and that's why we do it. I love this story. This guy's in Oswego. He's just right here. He's right here. Um, so uh, if you know someone who needs to take advantage of that or would like to take advantage of it, um, go uh, up there. Uh, 180 Inc. is the name of it. Um, there's all kinds of document, uh, documentaries done on this that you guys could check out online as well. Um, but it's really, really neat. Uh, he got contacted by the FBI, uh, and they said, hey, we want to uh, talk to you about what you're doing with these, these ink cover-ups and things. We want to talk to you to the trafficking, uh, the trafficking department. He's like, drug trafficking? He's like, no, 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 sex trafficking. And he's like, uh, okay. And so they're bringing in these girls that have been trafficked, and their pimps or the people that, uh, their slavers, have put barcodes or their name, like a business card, on the girls' faces um, or on their necks or what, whatever to kind of say, this is, this is mine. And so what he's been doing is either doing the, the removal stuff or um, trying to put beautiful art over top something that is the most heinous of pain. And that is an example of, I think, what I'm talking about when I talk about leveraging our pain for beauty, leveraging our failures for a full life. Because, yeah, these guys have this stuff on the outside, 
They've got the different gang uh, signs or the different stuff going on. But we all have those same kind of tattoos on the inside. We all have those kind of pain points, those issues somewhere inside us. And what God is wanting to do for you, just like this tattoo artist is wanting to do for these guys and, and gals, is take that old, the mess, the, the hurt, those marks of pain, those marks maybe of depression, those marks maybe of failure, and say, you know what? I can take that and I can make something gorgeous and beautiful out of it. And I don't know all your stories. I don't know all the things that maybe, maybe is being brought to your brain this morning, but I know God wants to do that for you. I've seen him do it before, and it's beautiful. How do we step into this? Because I know that I have to step into it. I have to choose to step into this. I got to choose to stop running. I have to choose to stop fighting. I have to choose to quit putting up walls. Because if I'm honest with you, that's exhausting. Think about the activities I'm talking about. Building a wall, that doesn't sound fun, right? Rocks are heavy. Uh, But I don't want to build a wall. I certainly don't want to fight everybody I come across. And you guys just have to look at me to know that I hate running. I don't want to do that anymore. It's exhausting. So how do we deal, deal with it? See, when you leverage your past, it becomes a tool, not a motivation. See, when you run and when you fight and when you build walls, your past is your motivation. I have to do these things to keep that from happening, from that from coming up, from that from earing its ugly head in my life. I've got to do those things. But when you leverage your past, it becomes a tool. And tools you have mastery over. Tools you get to pick and choose when you use it. Motivations just keep you burning all the time. You see the difference there? It's a huge difference. If you're running from your problem, you don't get to choose your destination. If you're running from a problem, you don't get to choose your destination. If you fight your past instead of your issues, you will always lose. And if you build walls, you will keep out the very relationships that can help you. How do we, engage, how do we step into it? We engage with it. We engage with our past, we engage with our failures, we engage with our issues, we engage with it. And this is sometimes the hardest thing to even think about. Jared, I work so hard at keeping that stuff out of my life. You're telling me I've got to step into it? Yeah. You've got to admit that there's an issue. You have to admit that there's a problem. You have to say, okay, this is the stuff. This is the issue. This is the abuse. This is the, the addiction. This is the whatever problem that's going on. This is the temper issue. This is the anger. Got to engage with it. Not to wallow in it, not to sit in it, but to say, what can I learn from it? The second thing we do is we use it. How can I use this to help others? How can I use it? This is a huge leap. Because, Jared, I've been running from this the very thing that I don't want to engage with. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to bring it up anymore. I don't don't want to step into that. Folks, there's people who need to hear your stories so they know that they are not alone anymore. You have no idea. You walk into a church, you think everybody to the right and left of you has got it all figured out. As the pastor of this church, if you're a guest here this morning, I will be clear with you. The people in these pews have not got it all figured out. (laughs) The pastor does not have it all figured out. But what we're doing is trying to live a life that's not stolen, 
It's not being killed. It's not being destroyed. A life that's full and overflowing. That's what we're trying to step into. So we got to use it. And finally, we have to own it. And this is what the story of Christ is all about. Owning our past and leveraging it for something better in the future. Owning it. How we talk about God is, I once was this, but God intervened, and now I'm this. I once was a gossip, and now I tell the truth. I once was an addict, and now I'm clean. I once was a gambler, and now I don't do that anymore. Now I once was an abuser, or I once was abused, and now I'm not that anymore. I once had an eating disorder, and I don't have that anymore. What's the difference? But God. But Jesus came in, and instead of my future being stolen and killed and destroyed, I have life, and I have it to the full. That's the difference. That's the change. That's the moment. The New Testament is full of failures that Jesus turns people who are the biggest screw-ups in history into the very people who change the course of history. The greatest missionary that has ever lived, Paul, he starts out his life, or starts out his ministry, basically being a murderer of Christians. And God uses that man to change the course of the Mediterranean. He plants more churches than anybody's ever even thought of. He has more impact than anybody can ever dream of. If there's anybody that has a story that's too far gone, it's Paul's. And God says, you know what? That's the guy. That's the guy I want to use. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, God says, I, still, I know your story. I see your past. And you're the guy. You're the girl. I want to use you to change the world. As a youth pastor, I got to see this, uh, different things like this a lot. <clears throat> and as a youth pastor, uh, we had this thing going on in our church uh, where we were attractive to these girls, or I don't know what was going on. Um, but we had a lot of girls who would cut themselves. And not for suicide's sake, but they would cut themselves to feel pain, to feel something. They, they had, were struggling with some issues that, that they chose. Um, the way in which they were going to feel emotions was through, through cutting their arms. And in Georgia, this is very easy to identify who these people are because it's 100 degrees outside with 99% humidity and they have long sleeves on. Why are you wearing a parka? It's 100 degrees outside. I don't like showing my arms off. You're like, uh, and me being the naive, you know, uh, youth pastor, okay. Like, I didn't understand there was a problem until I started actually dealing with these issues. Oh, now I know. And so these girls were going over and over again, and, and, uh, and one in particular comes to mind when I think about this is she would cut, and, and she didn't want to cut. She would go through, the, through this whole thing, and she didn't want to be in this lifestyle. She didn't want to be doing it anymore. She was going to a counselor. Counseling didn't seem to be helping. Her mom was praying and praying and praying and praying for her. Mom was a prayer warrior and didn't seem to be helping. We would be talking about redemption. We would talk about restoration, how God loves you and has a plan for your life. And you, you need to find your value in God and, and not in all this other stuff. And, and, and you don't have to be defined by your past. You can be set free of all that. We talk about it over and over and over again. She'd stay after our our services and be just crying on the floor, praying for this to be taken away from her, praying that she wouldn't feel the need to cut anymore. And this went on for months and months. 
I never gave up on her. And then one day, still praying for her, still talking about redemption, still praying how God has a plan for you. He loves you so much. You have no idea how much he cares for you. Over and over and over again, talking to her about this. One day, she walks in in a sundress. One day, she walks in. I still see the sundress. If I close my eyes, I can see what she was wearing. She was wearing, it was yellow and orange with orange flowers on it. Sundress walking in the, into the into the outback, which is what we call our youth building. And she radiated. And the smile on her face and the freedom off of her shoulders, her scars laid bare for everyone to see and not a care in the world. The freedom happened. Well, did it happen overnight? Did it happen in one like, Poof! no, it can't happen that way? Absolutely. But for her, it took a long time. And she was not, her mama wasn't willing to give up on her. We weren't willing to give up on her. And she wasn't willing to give up on her over and over and over again, bringing these requests to God over and over and over again, saying, God, I don't want this life anymore. Over and over again, I, I don't, I want to, I know I want to run. I know I want to fight. And let me tell you, there's stories with her and her mama that there's a lot of fighting, right? So I, want, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to build walls anymore. I just want to come to you, God. And she'd, continue to build walls and then have to tear them down. And she'd build walls and tear them down. She'd want to run and then we'd have to go find her. But and then there was a time she walked in with the sundress on in freedom. And so after we poured into her for a little bit longer, we'd have another girl who would come in and you could tell the signs. She'd have the sleeves up here. She'd have sweatshirts on all the time. It's 100 degrees outside. I'd just go over and her, you know who you need to talk to? See that girl over there? Why don't you just go introduce yourself? See, she could leverage her past. She could say, you know what? I've been there, and I'm not there anymore, and you don't have to be either. She could leverage some of the darkest times in her life, times where she didn't think she could go on anymore, times where she didn't think she could feel anything anymore, and she could communicate the love and the redemption of Jesus. She could use it. She could show mastery of it. And God was using it for the kingdom. God was using it for, for the greater good. God was using something that she thought had defeated her, that her parents thought might have defeated her. God was using it in a beautiful and glorious way. See, she had run and she had fought and she put her walls up and she'd leveraged. That's where the freedom lies. That's where our hope has to be in. It's not easy but it's life and it's a full life. When no longer we can say our life's being stolen from us or being, being killed from us or being destroyed, it's life and life to the full. If you want that kind of freedom this morning, I want you to pray with me. I want you to just put down your walls and pray with me. Jesus, I know I've been running. I've been fighting and I've been building walls. Right now, Lord, I want you to give, I want to give you my life, all of it. The stuff I try to keep hidden, the stuff I try to keep away from everybody, I want to, right now, Lord, I just want to unearth it and give it to you. It is, just place it in your hands. Give it to you in this moment. I want to let you in, give you control, give you access give you authority. 
Jesus, I want a life that's full and beautiful. Will you forgive me of my past? Will you walk me through my future? In your son's holy name I pray, amen.